Good morning. It's our great pleasure to celebrate Sunday service with you. Uh, my name is Nayaswami Bharat, and this is Nayaswami Anandi. And uh, Swami Kriyananda has described Ananda not as a place, but a consciousness. And in that consciousness, we're all together, all the time. So we hope you enjoy the Sunday service and Master's presence. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, commentaries uh, uh, written by Swami Kriyananda on Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings. And our reading uh, today is, How Should We Meet Our Tests? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week we considered Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness after his baptism by John. We discussed the question, does Satan exist? All of us experience temptation of one kind or another in our lives, some of us frequently, others only occasionally. Whether temptation comes to us from our own subconscious or from outside ourselves is secondary to the fact that it does come and that we must deal with it. More important, then, is the question how to deal with it. In fact, how to deal with tests of any kind. Martin Luther flung an ink pot at the devil who appeared to test him. A dark stain on the wall of Luther's cell is pointed out to tourists in support of this story. Unfortunately, our trials are not so similarly uh, dismissed. As a fellow monk once said to Swami Kriyananda, speaking of Satan, if only I could get my hands on him. Jesus, during his temptations in the wilderness, overcame them and thereby set an example for all time by clinging the more determinedly to God. As Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, darkness cannot be driven out of a room with a stick. Once you turn on the light, however, the darkness will vanish as though it had never been. Jesus manifested this principle. The Bible tells us, therefore, that at last the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. In the Bhagavad Gita, the point is clarified further by the added explanation that there are three qualities in human nature, sattvic, or spiritually elevating, rajasic, or ego-activating, and tamasic, or spiritually darkening. It is this triune aspect of human nature that the third chapter refers to with the words, a fire is hidden by smoke, or excuse me, as a fire is hidden by smoke, as a mirror is dulled by rust, and as an embryo is enclosed in the womb, so is the indwelling self enveloped by desire. Yogananda explained that each of these examples describes one of the qualities or gunas, sattva guna, that which elevates our consciousness, can be freed of any identity of ego by a little puff of meditation and right affirmation. Rajoguna, 
which uh, embroils the ego and restless activity can be worked off with a little more and a little longer effort. Tamo guna uh, embraces, as it does such mental states as laziness and stupidity, can only be outgrown in time since it inhibits even the desire for self-improvement. The example Jesus gave us was intended more for those in whom sattva guna is predominant. But if you yourself find elements in your consciousness that resist even the effort to cling to God in prayer and meditation, don't despair. Patience, as it has been well said, is the fastest path to God. As long as your efforts take you steadfastly in the right direction, you will come out right in the time. Uh, time. Remember Yogananda's words, a saint is a sinner who never gave up. If, however, your nature impels you, even against your will, to move in the wrong direction towards egoic desires and away from God, strive at least to detach yourself mentally from your wrong actions, which are induced by habit. The time will come when, your, uh, when their own stored-up energy will tire and diminish. At that time, if you have not contributed to that energy by your consenting will, you will find it possible at last to redirect your energies more constructively. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, friends. I'd like to also welcome you and say, how special it is to be able to spend this time together with you. I'd like to begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's book of uh, prayer demands. This is one of our favorites. I demand to return home. Impediments beware, flee my path. I am homeward bound through the long corridors of time, stumbling often into pits of error, then lifted out by thine unseen hand, I have walked painfully, discouraging darkness, barbed wire fences of habit, stony embankments of indolence, mountains of indifference, oceans of unfaithfulness, Sirens of sense longing may stand even now in my path as if to prevent my onward march to thy palace. But a million kingdoms and sextillions of years of unblemished worldly happiness will never tempt me again to turn away from thee. Well, this morning's topic how do we meet our tests, I would say, is um, pretty appropriate this morning. We are in the middle of uh, a lot of tests right now, climactic, social, um, economic, and of course the pandemic, and there may be a few others. And then of course you can layer into those um, your own personal tests. 
So this is a very, very important topic. Um, and the word test is a little misleading because we took tests when we were in school and we know that you studied for them and they lasted about an hour and then they were over. I saw a, a cartoon this week of um, these little beavers sitting at their desk in, in class. They had a paper in front of them and their, the large beaver teacher was standing at the front of the class and she said, students, when you hear the buzzer, hand in your test paper and eat your number two pencil. So, but the truth is about spiritual tests and life tests, it's quite different. Uh, tests can last um, months, years, decades. Master said that life itself is a test, that all of life is really to find out if you will choose God or if you want the things of the world that he has given you. I was, this image came to me as I was thinking about this, and it was interesting to hear it reflected both in the affirmation and again in the reading, that we are all, those of us watching, are very sincere in reaching toward God. We're, we're putting our earnestness, our devotion, our focus, we're very serious about that reach toward God. And yet, um, I think I can say safely that none of us has fully reached that, or you probably wouldn't be watching this Sunday service. And why not? We're reaching. And yet, on the, we're also reaching this way, aren't we? We have one part of us that's saying, I really want only God. But then there's some other things that we're also still holding on to. Some subconscious desire, sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes it's about wanting a relationship. Sometimes it's about wanting more health or more security. It's more obvious. Sometimes it's subconscious patterns in ourself that we aren't even aware of. Life is unfair. Um, nobody understands me. Um, uh, I'm not a good enough meditator. I'm not a good enough devotee. And so we have this pull, the superconscious pulling us this way and the subconscious pulling us that way. And so what is a test? A test is a blessing from God where he starts to put pressure on the system. You're reaching here, you're reaching out, and now more pressure is coming down and something has to give. And what happens to many people is this gives. They think, oh, I really... There's, I really have to get my finances together. I really have to be more serious about that. I have to leave the path. But what God is hoping for, and what we've seen in so many of our lives here, is that in the process of extreme pressure, we reach more intensely for God. And when we do that, something lets go. And we don't sometimes even know what's happened. But so often people have come through an illness or come through a divorce or come through some other personal cataclysm, uh, fires, lawsuits, whatever, and said, wow, 
Things have changed in a way I never expected. I feel so much freer. Things are so much better than they were. And so the test is God's opportunity for us to grow stronger in our connection to him by raising the energy. And how is that going to happen? Master tells us very simply. He says, attune yourself to me. Stay in attunement. He said, some of you will fall, but it needn't be if you would stay in tune. And what is staying in tune? It's, it's holding on to the masters with that one hand and just any time you hear negative thoughts in yourself, about yourself, about life, about anything, getting rid of it. Because in negativity, we can't be one with God. God has no negativity. So that is going to keep us on a steady course. But I wanted to share some other key points to how, how we can meet our tests. And I had a desire in this Sunday service that um, I wanted to share quotations from Master because this is a very intense time in people's lives. And the idea of tests is, is a big one and, and a very blessed one, a very great opportunity for us. And I wanted to hear as many of Master's words as I could. And interestingly, they started sort of dropping out of the sky. And so I wanted to share them with you. Um, I'm not going to read an essay, just one at a time. Um, but the first way to face a test, he expresses very beautifully. These are Master's words. <clears throat> no matter what is happening or has happened to you, resist fiercely the tendency to self-pity. To feel sorry for yourself is to dilute your power to overcome. Our friend Matt Stickney told, us, told me a really beautiful story that happened to him. Matt moved to Ananda, I think it must be at least 30 years ago. And his first year at Ananda was horrendous for him. He just, he couldn't find work that suited him. He couldn't hold a job. He had a relationship breakup. It seemed like every door kept closing in his face and he was getting increasingly discouraged and feeling sorry for himself. And so one Saturday, Swami Kriyananda was giving a class in the Expanding Light Temple and Matt sat in the very back row, about not right on the aisle, but a seat or two in from the aisle. And as Swami talked, Though he came in with a cloud of gloom over him, as Swami talked, Matt began to feel hope rising in his heart. And the more Swami talked, the more Matt was saying to himself, wait, I can, I can close the door on what happened yesterday and the day before and my past. I'm just closing that door. I'm going to get a fresh start. I can do this. I'm a devotee. I can do this. With God's help, I can do this. And by the time the service was over, he was re-energized and re-committed to hope and to positive energy. Well, Swami walked out after giving that talk, and as he reached the back of the room, just near Matt's seat, he just quickly turned around, looked right at Matt, and said, that's the spirit. Well, 
um, the people around Matt begin to clap him on the back and say, good work, Matt, you've got the spirit. But they didn't know what, what that was about. Matt was just like dumbfounded. And so what was happening there and why is it important for us? Because Swami Kriyananda is not around now in his body to give us that bucking up thing. But what was really happening there? And I can't say for sure, but this is what I think was happening. Master said, I watch your heart. I watch your heart. And Master could see what was happening there. And when we are discouraged, we literally turn away from the Guru's help. He cannot help us. Like he said, Satan is on one shoulder, God and Guru on the other. When you, neither one will interfere until you turn toward them. And when we turn in the direction of discouragement and self-pity, we're in the grasp of Satan and the Guru can do nothing. So he's watching and he sees Matt turn around and reach for God. And Swami, this is my thinking anyway, but I, I feel fairly confident it's true, Swami was always tuning into Master. And I think when he walked by Matt, he just sensed Master's pleasure with what was going on there. And so that is still happening for all of us every moment. Are we, you know, we're just sitting quietly in our house going into a state of gloom? God knows that. We're sitting in our house going into a state of gloom and then we say, no, I'm going to do my energization. I think I better meditate. I think I better listen to a talk of Swami. And we, we rouse ourselves. That is appreciated. The masters say, yes, now I can help you. So that constant thing is going on inside of ourselves. Second thing is to find a positive thought and to hold on to it dynamically. Many years ago when I was working at the Expanding Light, a woman came and said to me, I need help. I work in a situation with two other people and I really feel they're taking advantage of me in my work situation. And I don't know what to do. And after she talked, I realized I didn't know what to do either. She was a very serious devotee. And after she left, I sat with that for a while, and I thought, this is what you have to do. So I contacted her, and I said, please, repeat to yourself frequently, God is stronger than this test. And I just, you know, that was that. I just said it to her. Well, two days later, I got a message from her, and it said this. Today, one of those people... Now this test, this had been going on for two years, these people taking advantage of her. Today, one of those people knocked on my door and said, I think I owe you an apology. I think I've been mistreating you. The power of changing our thoughts and grabbing hold of something positive. So avoiding self-pity, grab hold of a positive thought. And then this reading, which... It's one of my favorite readings. It's from, it's from the Master's interpretation of the Rubaiyat. When unexpected problems overwhelm you, race to the divine safety within. Cast about constantly for the slenderest ray of light 
that can show you the way out of your predicament. God will never let you down if you firmly hold his hand. To me, that quotation about the slenderest ray of light is so helpful. And whenever I remember it, it's so helpful. Because we often think, oh, my meditation should be better than that. Oh, I should be feeling master more strongly than that. Oh, I only see like a little blurry sort of thing there that might be light. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you feel, no matter how slender it is, just cling to that and do your best with that. Swami once talked about what he called... um, the heavy, um, thick walls of flesh. He said that all of our feelings while we're in this body and in this ego are like insulated from us by thick walls of flesh. So we're trying to reach for God. And yes, we feel a little bit, but it's, it's buffered by this, this body. And if we get angry and if we get um, frustrated or any kind of negative emotion, that also is buffered by that thick wall of flesh. And he said that when you drop the body, all of those feelings are intensified. So if you've been a person who's allowed yourself to be run by anger your whole life, and you think that's bad, wait till you don't have a body. It's going to be a lot worse. So anything negative that you're allowing to sort of oh, it's not that bad, sort of fester inside yourself. You don't want to take that with you because it's going to be worse without this insulation of the body. But on the other hand, if we feel a slender ray of light from the guru, if we feel just a little bit of love, a little bit of hope, a little bit of joy, that is going to be amplified. I don't know how it works, uh, but I think it's going to be amplified quite a lot. And I've been thinking this week, this, this passage from Corinthians has always been so poignant for me and so powerful, but it very much expresses this. It says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then... Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I am known. So God isn't expecting us to leap, to leap there in this bound of, you know, from here I am to this pure light and communion with Master, but hold on to whatever we have Last night I was, I was awake and something that was happening in the community was sort of bothering me. And um, I just remembered this quotation from Master. God will never let you down if you firmly hold his hand. And so lying in bed, I just pictured myself holding his hand. And that turned it. That turned it. When the morning when I woke up, I thought about the fact that there have been, at this point, maybe I know of, I don't know, dozens of challenges, take away pandemic, take away economic problems, take away this, take away that, and just look in the community. 
and see what we're facing in the community. Dozens of things related to how the community runs and the future of the community and interpersonal problems, et cetera, et cetera. And then I thought, but you've been here almost 50 years. Think back. There are thousands of those things that have come and gone. And that's all the things that I know. What about the things I have no idea about? It, we get into the millions of things that have happened in people's lives that, that this life isn't meant to be just this downhill slide into God's arms. It's, it's a battlefield. It's an uphill battle. It is a test, as Master said, to say, are we, are we going to look up toward the light or not? And that challenge is there. I heard the most beautiful story this week. A, a, a woman, her name is, was, is Auburn, and she told about her life. She um, was in college. She had a lot going for her, but for whatever reason, she got into heavy drugs. She married a man who was into heavy drugs. They had a baby. And the night that this event happened, she was curled up in the middle of her filthy living room in a fetal position, filled with anxiety, ready to jump out of her skin as she was withdrawing from a drug experience. Her husband was out somewhere doing something, and there she was just with herself. She said, if I could have, I just would have run out in the streets and screamed. I just didn't know what to do with myself. And, but she couldn't because of this baby that was there. And she held in her hand this slip of paper that her mother had given her a phone number of a Christian help center, a, ta a telephone call-in of a Christian uh, health help group. And finally, she, she wasn't a Christian, and she didn't know what she thought about all of the religion stuff. But finally, at 2 in the morning, she got the courage to call this number. So she calls the number, a man answers sort of sleepily, and she said, I need help. Can you talk to me? And she hears him sort of rustling around and sort of moving sheets around and so forth. He said, of course. And she begins to sort of share, you know, I think I have a drug problem. And, you know, my husband said, I love him, but, you know, he's tried to kill me a couple of times. And, you know, a few things like that. And he is just completely loving to her, encouraging to her. He keeps saying things like, tell me more. And very present, very centered very with her, and he stays with her through the whole night. He talks to her, lets her talk to him. Basically, she's doing most of the talking. She's, she's understanding her life as she talks. She's seeing things she's never really seen before. And as morning comes, she's starting to feel like, you know, I think I can face today. I think I can do this. And she says to this man, you know, I, I know you're a Christian help center, and I, I, I just want you to know I'm so, so grateful for you talking to me. And even though I'm not a Christian, if you want to give me a Bible verse, you know, it's probably something that you're, is part of your thing. You know, I'm really, I'll do anything. I'm so grateful for your help. And the man said, Auburn, I have to tell you something. You called the wrong number. In that moment, she said, her, basically her life changed because she realized that there was a power in this universe of goodness. That there was God and that there was love and that someone was watching out for her. 
and had her call this man who, out of anyone on the planet, could help her so beautifully. And when she was giving this talk, she said that was the turning point where I got my life together. My son has recently graduated with honors from Princeton. Everything changed. So it doesn't, it's just that moment, that slenderous ray of light that for all of us on this path, we've had, depending on if you've been on it a year or 40 or 50, we've had either a dozen or hundreds, many times where God has said, I'm, I'm here. I, I know you're, you're curled up mentally, uh, psychologically, you're curled up in the fetal position, but I, I am with you and I am helping you. And that is our hope. And that's what we want to follow. The fourth point, uh, besides holding on to the slenderest ray of light and choosing the positive thought and not feeling sorry for yourself, never compare yourself. This is from Master, another quotation. Be proud of what you have and what you are. No one is exactly like you. No one has a soul like yours. You are a unique creation of God. How proud you should be. So, this is something we know um, that Master said often, Swami has said often, never compare yourself to others because this life has been crafted specifically to help your soul in exactly the challenges you face to help you find God. And it's been given to you by God. And your soul is one with God. And it's really, it's really just a source for standing up and saying, Woohoo! Oh, what a great, great blessing that I, I have this soul, that I am one with God. And the final thing that I just wanted to mention is to, during all these times, um, to as much as we can stay in the present moment with God. Um, of course, we have to think about the future. We have to pack our, we have to plan our evacuation strategy and, and pack our evacuation bags and all that sort of stuff. And at the same time, we have to stay in the present with God because God is in the present. And if we start to get worried, it's probably because we're not in the present with God. That's where our salvation is going to come from. So I'd like to end by reading a poem to you. This is one of Master's poems. It's, it's one of my very favorite poems. It's called, When Will He Come? When every heart's desire pales before the brilliancy of the ever-leaping flames of God love, then he will come. When no inclination or unfulfilled craving can be sure of your stability to them, when he shall be sure you will never leave the guru, then he will come. No matter how you feel, helpless, forsaken, and the torture of temptation, karma, or tests, if you ever keep hoping he will come, he will come. When your mind says piercingly, you can't have him, you don't deserve him, 
Still, if your soul, disregarding all this, shall ever keep chanting within, he will come. He will come. When he shall be sure nothing else can win you, then he will come. Even if you are the sinner of sinners, still, if you never stop calling him deeply, in the temple of unceasing love, then he will come. Let's just take a moment and tune into Master's promise, knowing that if we just simply keep our sense of hope, keep clinging to God and Guru, he will come. Life flows on like a river that homes to the sea. One hour bounding through mountain vales, one hour winding through a lee. None may linger on the None may coax time to stay. Fleeting scenes move by us like a dream. Cling not, none will be your home. Lest you grieve to be alone, go within you, there's your home. Cling not, none will be your 